Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, This is Lauren speaking. I use she and her pronouns. Here's my co-host. Hi, everyone. It's Tristan speaking. I use they, them pronouns. Happy to be back with everybody today. And um, I'm, we have both been really excited for this episode. We don't tend to interview a ton of folks we know locally. Like we have a lot of internet friends who've been on this podcast before. So this is really exciting. Today we have Shannon Hoffman, who is a candidate for Denver City Council here where I live. So um, Shannon, I'd love for you to share, well, I just said your name, but your pronouns and then anything else about your identities that would help people kind of locate you socially. Sure. Um, my name is Shannon Hoffman. Um, she, her, hers pronouns. Um, currently live in Denver, Colorado, Arapahoe, Ute, Cheyenne territories. Um, let's see. I am a white um, cis woman from a working class background, um, middle class person these days. Um, and my family is from central Appalachia and Michigan. Um, and then we always love to ask people about their astrology placements. So I'm very curious if you want to share like sun, moon, rising or anything else that feels important. Oh yeah. Um, I'm an Aries sun, uh, Capricorn moon and Scorpio rising. Mm -hmm. And I love astrology and I, I don't get the people who are like, I don't know about that. I'm like, it's happening. It's happening whether you think it's happening or not. Exactly. It's impacting you. We've had several air. I'm also an Aries son. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of fire on this podcast. Yes. Um, yes. And the Capricorn doesn't surprise me at all either. That makes so much sense Mm -hmm. for you're doing that. Um, So I know for our listeners and for us too, we would love to hear a bit about just your background, uh, whatever feels relevant for you to share. Um, it could be more personal, more work, combination of both. Like how did you get to this point where you are now? Sure. So I grew up in Michigan. Um, my mom is from far Eastern Kentucky. Um, she's the youngest of nine kids and her dad was a coal miner and, um, 
she moved to Michigan and met my dad working at a Kmart. Um, so yeah, so I grew up there in Michigan, but also always went to, to Eastern Kentucky and ended up, um, being an AmeriCorps member when I graduated from college and was a GED instructor, um, after college, interestingly, because I had applied for teach for America and I made it to the final round and then I didn't get it. And I found that out while I was on this alternative spring break trip in Kentucky and all my friends in Kentucky were like, well, just come here and do what you wanted to do, um, with us. Um, and then, um, my, I have a master's degree in higher education administration with a focus on college access and success for um, low-income students, students of color, underrepresented students, which could be like adults or non-traditional students as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I my, my advisor in college was one of the original people that worked on the original DREAM Act um, for undocumented um, folks, but particularly looking at those folks um, going to college um, or having access to college and financial aid for college. Um, so, yeah, I, then I've worked at colleges and universities and worked primarily in service learning with students who again, are at institutions where they're underrepresented, they're predominantly white, wealthy institutions. And um, the groups of students I would I was working with were or are students of color and or low income students. And um, we would do community service projects and connect that to their career interests. And I always say my students are my teachers like they just they taught me so much about um, issues in the world, advocacy, really fully showing up, you know, um, and the need for that, um, like caring deeply about them helped me push me to, to really show up, um, when, when we need to, um, yeah. And then I, um, I was working at a college in Memphis and, um, was actually, um, asked to resign from my job because um, of the ways in which I was supporting students on that campus to organize and ask for more resources. So I was thinking about moving to Colorado. I packed up my Honda Civic. I sold everything else and I moved to Colorado and I worked a bunch of retail jobs. And then I worked in some public school systems um, in Denver. And now um, in addition to running for office, I also work full time for a nonprofit um, and the nonprofit does a lot of work. But the thing that we're doing or that I'm a, um, a uh, is the primary focus of my work is around um, bringing a grocery store to this neighborhood, which is a food desert community and also um, building a low income housing tax credit building. So an affordable housing building. Um, so, yeah, that's my that's kind of my career trajectory along that way have like done lots of organizing work, um, community work. Like I always call it my work work and my community work mm -hmm. and they all go together, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that struck me most when we first had coffee a few weeks ago is like how integrated your community organizing work is with how you've shown up in your quote unquote career, I guess, like what pays you <laughs> to get stuff done. Um, and that's something I really admire. And I know a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out how to do if their job isn't necessarily what they love. Um, but it sounds like you were able to bring those values into your 
day job for lack of a better word too. Um, I'm also curious, was your higher ed master's from Michigan state? My undergrad is from Michigan state and my master's is from Vanderbilt university. Oh, okay. I had to ask cause my husband got his higher ed master's at MSU. So I was like, Oh my God, small world, but not that small. <laughs> Um, I want to pause here, Tristan. I feel like I've talked a lot. Do you have any questions? No, you haven't talked about okay, it all. Cool. <laughs> um, but I am wondering, like Shannon, and I'm sure you get this question all the time. What made you decide to run for an office position and why this particular position as city council? Yeah, uh, I do. And I feel like every time I answer it differently and I think about it differently, depending on the context of the conversation. So the buildup to thinking about running is that in the summer 2020, um, after George Floyd's murder, and there were lots of uprisings um, all over the country, um, my friend and mentor um, now, um, at the time we were just sort of acquaintances, Jeff Campbell, he um, is the founder of Emancipation Theater Company. He also started this group called Allies to Abolitionists. And it was really about um, specifically white people who were saying, oh, my God, like they were waking up. You know, I don't want to be uh, uh, dismissive. Yeah, exactly. Or exactly. But Thank also <laughs> just, just yeah, those are the words, because truly we're all always waking up all the time yes. and we need to like create more inroads for people to instead of being like that to be like, come aboard, you know, yeah. Um and so um, it was a really uh, response to that, to white people saying like, oh my God, there is a problem in this country and what are we going to do? And also to really look at it from a local level. So, and from, and to leverage artists and what we could do with like art and activism. Um, so I approached Jeff and I said, hey, I see what you're doing. I feel like I have some um, skills around some of these organizing pieces. So um, we ran a campaign called justice for Rivero, which was really also to say there were lots of people who came before us who were working on this campaign. It was just sort of like a prime time opportunity. Um, but this was about, um, a local artist who was, um, Rivero Stinnett, who was brutalized at union station. He now has a traumatic brain injury, um, from allied security guards at union station. I led a team of community researchers who found that allied security is one of the most violent, um, notoriously violent security companies in the world. We actually got um, this organization in New York that goes after uh, these sorts of companies globally to open a case on allied. Um, we ended up stopping a $10 million contract with allied security with the city of Denver. Jeff wrote a play about all of this and then produced that on a, like a virtual platform. And then we went on to do another campaign about our unhoused neighbors, looking at um, the cost of what it costs to quote, sweep them or traumatically displace them, ask them to move. Um, it costs the city, probably the city of Denver, like 10 to $20,000 a sweep. Um, and we made a documentary about this um, called Message to the Mayor. Um, I give all this long preface because, um, you know, I had been, like I said, with my students involved in lots of community work um, with my students, with community, um, but I was never really involved in electoral politics, um, had lots of friends, especially in Memphis, who were doing a lot of work like around a 
uh, citizens review board, much like we have the citizen oversight board here in, in Denver. But I just, I don't know. I just thought, oh, you know, I'm going to be like a nice, good person over here. And hopefully that will help. And we need nice, good people everywhere. I'm not saying, you know, um, but something about being involved in these campaigns and really beginning to watch regularly these community meetings and watch people who um, in news articles, um, in speeches, when they are running for office, say that they espouse particular values. And then when it is time to vote and there is a limited number of people who are actually watching, again, because capitalism has us on a hamster wheel and it's very hard for people to participate, those folks are not voting in accordance with the values that they stated. I was like, no, like, I'm going to go for this, you know? And like it, now, like being in it, I'm like, I was just texting a friend earlier for advice about something. And I said, I'm related to the campaign. And I said, look, I'm a little fish in a big pond, but I have a big heart and I have a strong moral compass, you know? And so like, I... There are a lot of pieces of this that I'm like, whoo, what's going on? Like, I'm learning so much, but that's who, who I think we need in power. Like, who are the people with a strong moral compass who have integrity, which means when no one is looking, like you will do what is right and just and best for the entire community. So that's a long answer, but that's why I'm running. And that's what like led me to it. Amazing. I think it's a great answer. And, you know, I, I'm newish to Denver. I, going on a couple of years, which feels wild to think about, but you know, I'm, I'm only recently starting to understand just all the dynamics and the personalities in these current seats and stuff. And, you know, your opponent being one of them. And a couple of weeks ago here in Denver, um, a bunch of grassroots organizations came together to mark 10 years since the quote unquote camping ban, which we could also call a survival ban on unhoused folks in Denver, which is why nowadays police have the authority technically to sweep them. Um, and a bunch of unhoused neighbors or formerly, I think unhoused people got together and attended a city council meeting. And I was shocked that all but one council member walked out of the room instead of listening to them. Like that is wow. such a clear example of people not walking the talk for lack of a better term. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really excited about your campaign, Shannon. And I think you're totally right that that's what we need in office. And I'm also wondering, are there people who you have watched kind of make this turn into electoral politics in an unexpected way that inspired you? Maybe if you hadn't thought about it before. Yeah. Um, I mean, I certainly think, uh, again, in, in Denver, um, we have Dr. Lisa Calderon, who's now the um, head of Emerge Colorado, which Emerge nationally is um, a program that trains Democratic women to run for office. Um, so I'm a part of that cohort um, here in Denver. And um, Dr. Calderon ran for mayor. She, we've never had a woman mayor in the city of Denver ever. And she was the first woman of color to ever make the ballot even for, for that position. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, she, she is a person who has done like, um, domestic violence advocacy work, like worked with people who were, um, previously incarcerated. Um, and 
And then just, and also has been working on issues within her own family, right. And in her own neighborhood. Um, and, and I actually, I, I had a podcast for a minute where we were talking about the city charter and I interviewed her. And one of the things she said was like, people told me, um, that some of the things I was fighting for, particularly around police violence, that, you know, there's just nothing we could do. And she said, watch, I'll, I'll show you, you know, and to see someone still continuing to fight that fight, like she is, um, she ran and now she is supporting other women to run. And she is still, again, with that integrity, has integrity on the issues that are so important for her. And she knows still the needle still needs to be moved on in our city. Um, so she's definitely someone that that I admire and comes from, I think, a grassroots um, place getting into politics. I'm definitely going to look up those podcasts or I'm assuming they're still out there on the internet about the city charter. Oh, cool. Yeah. We, I only have three episodes. I'm, I'm holding one that I think I will do before the November elections, but it's called how shit gets done in Denver. And then oh, I'll I probably do some events with that same name about the, about like all the ballot initiatives in Denver. Oh, I love that. Okay. For other local politics nerds out there, if your city doesn't have one of these, maybe this can be your, your sign to start a podcast about that. That's so useful and so helpful. Cause I remember last year we had a ton of ballot initiatives and they were so confusing. And for most of us, like just basic research, isn't going to help you understand what the fuck they're saying. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really awesome. I'm also wondering, you know, in your dream for our city and obviously Denver is just one place in a very big world. Are there things that are either already happening or things that you want to make happen that could be a template for other places to start to bring these justice values into our public policy? Yeah. I mean, I think the project that I am working on, um, in Montbello is certainly a really great example of things I would like to see across the city because, Um, so as I briefly mentioned, it's 97 units of affordable housing. It's a grocery store, cultural arts center, mental health space, retail incubator. Um, the land is formally owned by our regional transit, um, department. So they sold it for like minimal dollars to this nonprofit Um, this nonprofit is working with a developer, but, um, ultimately the nonprofit will be the owner of the land and the owner of the building Oh, they own the land. They will own the building. Um, and there's lots of ways to do this, you know, like you can form in another neighborhood in our city, um, global area Swansea, or those are three neighborhoods. Um, they have a community land trust set up and they have leveraged that to put, um, um, affordable housing on there that also has a home ownership model and then keeps that home ownership, um, in the hands of community members or people that have like lineage to that area. Um, in another part of the city, um, they are also looking at um, building a community grocery store and have tried many models, right? So I think um, what are the big overall like things here that, I, that I'm seeing is like, one, how do we take 
um, public owned property, um, city property, right. And leverage it for what's best for the, the community. Does that mean keeping it within, um, the city and building on it some kind of facility, right? That or some kind of like housing property. Does that mean um, selling it for a low dollar amount to a community development corporation that could develop on it? Um, does that mean maybe like a combination of those things? But essentially, how do we um, put the development of our community into the hands? of community members as opposed to simply into the hands of whoever, you know, has the most money to gobble it all up. Yeah, I'm sitting here like very inspired. Interest in your face makes me think maybe you have questions. (laughs) I don't. I'm just having lots of thoughts. I guess I do have a question, which is kind of a tricky one. But I think the thing that comes up for me is like, what is our role as white people when we're doing this kind of organizing and advocacy work? And like, where's the line between like showing up in meaningful ways to fight for justice and equity for folks who are marginalized and particularly folks of color um, versus like, where's white saviorism? I'm -hmm. wondering like what your thoughts are, Shannon, given all of your work and experience on that. Yeah. Topic. Knowing too that there's like, probably no clear answer or like right answer, right? It's just like a messy question and process. But yeah, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. No, I I think it's a really great question and one that we should be trying to think about a lot. Um, First of all, just to name, you know, all those community, those three communities that I just mentioned are predominantly communities of color and those organizations are, um, led by, um, those organizations of projects are led by people of color. So I think part of it too, is saying, you you know, often we can, and also those are communities, um, that have been like resources have been taken away from them. Um, they have been overdeveloped in some ways to like push, people of color and low income people out of those communities. So as opposed to doing this sort of like deficit mindset, right. Of like, we have to go in here and we have to, um, help people, right. Like these are neighborhoods where people are like, we're doing this for ourselves. So to me, I'm like, well, let's, can I come and be your neighbor and learn from you and also like leverage this best practice to, so like, um, the district I'm running in doesn't include any of those neighborhoods. However, it includes a lot of those issues. Um, and the people that are affected by that are, um, you'd actually like our district is, uh, district 10, um, which is like the center of Denver is predominantly white. There are, there are a good number of people of color there and there previously were more people of color in this neighborhood, uh, or in this district. Um, but my thought, right. Is like, okay, like let's bring these best practices of how these folks are doing community development work, um, to our neighborhood and, and lift that up as a best practice and also not a race, um, that, that they are the folks that have been teaching us the way. Right. Um, So, and I also think, um, a part of that, like when I think about saying that, I think about like, oh, why does that feel so strong for me? It's because like some of my family members, like my family members from Appalachia, I feel like that's how also people can, um, treat those folks. Right. It's sort of like, oh, 
you're like poor and you're not well-educated. We're going to come in here and help you. Um, you know, and there, and, you know, being white, of course, affords you many privileges, even if you are poor and you're not well-educated, like just being white and being able to step into a room, you have lots of power. But why I bring that up is because I also think like some of the most important work that white people can do too, is to like explore, um, their lineage and like, what is their shared connection in the struggle? Right. Because like, um, then that's where it becomes about collective liberation, as opposed to like, I am here to save you. Like, dude, I'm here so that we can all get free, you know, like I, I am unfree and the people I come from are also, um, and in different ways than you, if I'm speaking to a friend of color, right. Are, um, so let's, let's find this like solidarity and in struggle and move forward. Because I think when we get so caught up in saviorism or guilt, then we're paralyzed. And that is like, um, it's not good because, um, uh, we have to, we have to, we have to have movement, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm also hearing uh, like what you described to me also sounds like mutuality. Um, Ruby sales has talked about like solidarity versus mutuality. I am not an expert on this, but it's, it's like, I'm not here to help you. I'm here because our struggles are bound up together. Like you just said, and Tristan and I work closely and have been mentored by and in relationship with Michelle Cassandra Johnson, who our listeners are very familiar with because we talk about her all the time. Um, but she, I've heard her talk about how there's a lot more in common between like working class white folks and folks of color than working class white folks and like the true capitalists who are exploiting all of us. And that's something that's so easy to forget because race is used as this like wedge between people who really should be united in this same struggle that you're talking about. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I don't have a question. I was just talking. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll just add something yeah, yeah, please. interesting that I always like to bring up because I think it's such a good example of that. Um, and it relates to my uh, family history and lineage. And so it's like really important, like touchstone to me, um, which is that um, th I learned recently on the, this like podcast about um, Dolly Parton, which is really good. It was from radio, the guy, the same guy that makes radio lab um, about the etymology or the history of the word hillbilly. And so, um, it, you know, when, um, coal mines were like some of the first places I think in history where like we saw not some of the first, cause of course we had like, um, who's the guy, the guy that like brought white and black and native American people together. You're talking about think of a, no, no. Oh. During like, um, during like slavery and like got people to oh. like revolt. Um, I have no idea. I'm going to look it up. Anyway, sorry, this is like my ramblings to get to the point. But the point is, is that like when people were unionizing um, in coal mines because the conditions were so terrible um, it, and this is like Battle of Blair Mountain time period. So I don't know what those years are because I'm not good with history, obviously, but I'm good with the ideas, the broad concepts. Um, so white and black people were working together to unionize. And, um, 
wealthy white people would call poor white people that unionize with black people hillbillies because you're stupid if you organize with them right so that's now that's where we get that word right or how we use the word today like you're a hillbilly like you're not smart but those were folks that knew they were smart. They were the smartest. They knew that, you know, that their, their, um, their life was bound with, um, these other folks that they were like under the earth with trying to survive, you know? So, um, no, I think it is, it is really interesting and important. And because also like, why did those like people in power want to say that because they knew that if all these workers came together and said, you know what, like, we're not doing this anymore, then they're not making any money, you know? So let's just make them feel, um, it, it's, it's, it is the, the plantation perpetuates itself, you know, like let's give this white person some come of power, um, you know, over, a person of color so that we can continue this, like this system of exploitation. Yeah. It's like, um, I haven't done a deep dive into the books about like becoming white and how it was the same thing with Jews and the Irish and Italians and like groups became white or their whiteness was like their lighter skin for lack of a better word was exploited in order to maintain power in the hands of the wealthy white people. And that's still going on. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, I'm going to look up some of these things that you just saw, especially the Dolly Parton podcast. Oh my gosh. I'm such a fan of hers. That's so great. Um, yeah, I definitely want to ask, you know, if you have advice for folks considering seeking office, but first I want to ask how you're taking care of yourself right now. Cause you have so much on your plate. You always have had so much on your plate, but now, especially, so how is that I mean, balance is a myth, but how is that balance looking for you? Yeah, I just read this really good book by Marley Grace called um, uh, Pathways to Center or something. I don't know. I don't remember the title, but Marley Grace, amazing author. um, And one of the things she says, and she says that this other author, Alex L taught her this idea that there isn't balance, but you can find harmony. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, taking care of myself, I think honestly is really hard. And I think it's hard for a lot of people who are, um, sort of awake to the fact that like the world is on fire and like, even when we're like doggy paddling, it's still just like not getting a lot better sometimes. Um, but at the same time, I, um, know that caring for myself is radical and also that like undoing white supremacy, um, does start in me and in my body. Um, and, um, I think those like, that's really important. And it's also really challenging. So I guess with that, you know, I do go to two different therapists. I go to a talk therapist and a somatics coach. Um, I like to go on walks. I like to read. Um, I have an ancestor altar that I tend to, that is really important part of my daily spiritual practice. 
I like to pull a tarot card and journal about it every day. Um, I also like to get my nails done. I like to go to the foot massage parlor, like <laughs> in the strip mall. Um, you know, uh, it's all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, we should all be, I think, pleasure activists and enjoying the world that we are that we are trying to create. Shout out to Adrian Marie Brown. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to pause, see if Tristan has anything. No, I, I guess I'm curious how you're, I, I, I'm like, no, I don't. I keep saying this. And then I'm like, actually, I do <laughs> have a thought or question. I guess I'm curious about your boundaries and like how you're managing your time. And before we started recording, you were like, I just took a couple of days away from computer stuff. And so I'm feeling really grounded and clear. Like, I can only imagine you've had to get really like ferocious about protecting your time <laughs> and being very clear about like when you're available and when you're not when you're juggling like running for an office position like working a job like I mean yeah tell me about your boundaries Shannon <laughs> oh gosh I've been working on those for a long time yeah, for real. <laughs> with several therapists <laughs> cycles of therapy um I think um the biggest thing that has been helpful to me has been advice from other folks who are, have ran before and have said, you know, just know that it's not possible to do it all. And it's really hard for people for whom like, you know, a lot of like sort of perfectionist tendencies, you know? Um, so the best thing I can do is make lots of lists and also like really try to block off my time and then also just get really comfortable with like, I have 50 unread text messages and I have like a hundred unread emails in my campaign email. I have a hundred unread work emails. I have thousands of unread personal emails, you know, um, I have post-it notes all over my house of all this stuff to do. But I, and I also think like, this isn't um, necessarily like the, the, well, I guess it is. It's, it's sort of like, okay, so how do I cut through all of that? Like coming in, you know, which is just, I also try to give myself a lot of um, positive self-talk is sometimes really hard for me, but when I can get to the positive self-talk of like, I trust my intuition and I trust that uh, my intuition enough to understand what the priorities are. Right. So like, if I have a bunch of messages swirling around me, I have the, I have the experience of that and my intuition to figure out, um, okay, this is, this is what's like the most pressing that I need to work on right now. I might steal that. That's a good <laughs> piece of positive self-talk. Oh my God. Yeah. I see. Tristan. I'm just, I'm just struck by the, I have hundreds and 50 unread messages. My whole nervous system is like, how do you do it? <laughs> but you sound really accepting of, of where you're at with that. Like I, like, it's like you're triaging like this. I don't have time for today. And like, this is not as important as this other part of my life, um, which is a boundary practice. Right. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I do want to get to Lauren's question about like, tips and thoughts for people who might want to run for a political office, like share your wisdom, Shannon. <laughs> um, do it. <laughs> there you go. Do it. We, we, 
you know, we need people who are outside of the political machine to just come into these institutions. And especially for people who are maybe, um, you know, maybe super left who are like, let's, you know, radicalize these systems. Yeah. But the thing is, you got to remember is that like these systems are going to keep churning until um, we get enough folks in there, right. That are going to change or um, they're going to keep churning while we're trying to figure out what other kind of system we want to build. So um, the advice would be do it and also um, find people um, who are like you um, or, you know, share commonalities with you that can, um, mentor you and support you, um, because it is really hard and, um, scary and sad. Like I cry so much. Um, and just knowing that like, I'm not alone and there are other people there is really important. And, and so with that specifically, you know, especially, I can say that it's very hard as a person who um, doesn't have the choice to not work while running um, and still and yet I have no idea what it would feel like to also be a black woman um, mother, um, you know, who also has to work while running. So um, like I still say do it, you know, but hopefully you can also find um, better advice than what I have from people um, who have who have done that. Um, And then with that, you know, if you're not quite ready to run yet, like um, support folks who are um, again, as someone who is very new to electoral politics, specifically, that means like please give people money. This costs a lot of money to do this. But if we just have, you know, um, people giving small, like a lot of people giving small dollar amounts, it really can help these grassroots campaigns. Please volunteer time. Like that is huge. Um, I just say that specifically because I think when I was just um, before I was involved in electoral politics, it's like, okay, yeah, like I will vote for you. It's like, it's so much more than that. (laughs) Um, it's so much more, but, but some, but we don't know, you know? So, um, just if you can find the ways to support those candidates, um, that is so incredibly huge. Yeah. And for what it's worth to a small, donation every single month, like a recurring donation is so helpful rather than like $50 all at once do $5 a month. Cause then the candidate and their team can count on that money. They can actually sort of budget same thing for nonprofits. Um, and you know, I also like to get specific too. I, Shannon and I got connected through our local, um, democratic socialists of America or DSA chapter. Those are all over the place nowadays. If you don't have one where you live, you can start one, um, emerge and other groups like that, that are training people to run for office. And there are a lot of those that are for specific identities and like affinity type of groups that you can find out there. Um, if anyone wants to email our podcast email address, um, through the contact form, I'm happy to send you some resources, but yeah, there's so much help out there, but we, like you said, Shannon, we just don't know until we start asking. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now, um, Lauren is volunteering with my campaign and makes my amazing newsletter every week. And I'm 
so incredibly grateful to Lauren. Oh, thank you. Well, and I was also going to say, I was struck by how down you were to delegate and like, you're not a micromanager at all. Like you give me (laughs) feedback because I don't know what's in your brain sometimes, but it's like, not many, I'll just say from my experience working for elected officials or candidates, that is not typical of their personalities. So also if anyone's thinking of running, like it's okay to delegate stuff and like, let go of your grip. As long as people have the information, they can get a lot done for you. So yeah, thank you for trusting me with it. I really appreciate too, Shannon, the, the mention that like we can still work within the system to change the system while also dreaming up something completely alternative. Cause that was my next question was like, you mentioned abolition, like allied abolitionist earlier. And I'm, I'm, it's like, I always, I've asked this question on the show several times, but never to a political candidate. Like, where are you on the topic of abolition? Cause like, <laughs> that's such a loaded thing. And I just really appreciate you naming that complexity that like, it doesn't have to be yet again, an either or black and white scenario like we can do both at the same time in fact we need to be doing both at the same time and that's yeah I thank you yeah 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 actually I um just to respond to, yeah you know I consider myself an abolitionist I feel like there are lots of people who um have been doing that work for much longer than I so I think that's like my like maybe not hesitancy, but sort of like, Oh, I I don't know that I'm in the same category, you know, but, but those people I admire just to name them, um, Miriam Kaba, um, Elizabeth Epps locally in Denver, um, but also known very much so nationally. Um, yeah, those are people that I admire and follow their work. And I had a friend who is also working on the campaign and they asked me, um, do you think you can win as an abolitionist? Mm. And I said, yes, because also this doesn't make sense for anyone, right? Like um, wasting our tax dollars, traumatizing people um, and also, and simultaneously not resolving issues doesn't make sense for people that are like fiscally concerned about what's happening in our city. Um, Spending our money, um, making our, um, you know, local train hub, uh, union station, like a place that is really challenging to get in and out, to use the bathroom, um, to charge your phone. Like that's inconvenient for everyone. Um, now it's most inconvenient for, for people who are the most marginalized, but like, it's, um, the reason why I think abolition can be a way of life is because it's truly what is best um, for all of us. And so I think it's just beginning to have a conversation um, about that with folks who might be a little bit more um, hesitant or worried about that. Yeah. I mean, it's working. The system is working for white cisgender heterosexual men, (laughs) but everybody else (laughs) is not being supported. And I think about that, too, in terms of like running for a candidacy, running for an electoral position, political position like that. It feels like that's so out of reach and it's designed that way. Right. Like there's a reason we don't know the nitty gritty process of what that looks like or that, like, I could just wake up one morning and start looking into it and put myself on a ballot. Like there's a reason we don't know that it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's intentional, right? Totally so to by maintain design. 
power in certain hands, which is why, dear listener, if you want to be part of disrupting the system in this way, please, please do. Um, and I hope we can provide some resources in the show notes today. Oh, a hundred percent. And please email me. I was just going to say, um, and email Lauren. Yeah. Cause I've, I mean, I've helped people kind of find resources before, but I've also coached folks who are considering running, who are running, particularly, um, people who are marginalized in some way. And there's just so much like it's such a mind fuck <laughs> in so many ways, it sounds like. Um, and also truly. And to shout out an episode we had, I think toward the end of season two, because this will be in season three, um, we talked a little bit more about abolition and what it means. We talked, um, Tristan, you read something from, I'm holding up Patrice, her book, um, Abolitionist Handbook. And then we also talked, actually, we read something from Elizabeth Epps about how she yeah. talks about abolition. So yeah, there's just so many resources out there too, if anyone wants to dig more into that. So yeah, thank you for what you just shared, Shannon. Um, You know, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want people to know, um, whether it's about seeking office or just about showing up for these values in general? Mm. I am just thinking so deeply, but I, I, oh, I think this is what it is that this work, it's so, um, it's like serious and important and all of that, but also it's really rewarding. And I think, um, often, um, we are sort of like caught up in, worry and fear right of like doing the right thing that we miss out on like really beautiful learning and community and that's probably like the best um and my my favorite part are all the people that are so dear to me and a part of my life um because you know just prioritizing collective liberation is something really important to me so um I would say, yeah, there's a lot of um, joy and connection in this work. Yeah, you have such a wide range in community here in Denver, too. I mean, just from doing your newsletter and like you have pictures of people, you're like my friend so and so from this little pocket of Denver. And it's that's all over the place. So you've really plugged in in so many different ways and have these really beautiful, deep relationships. So thank you so much for sharing that and for encouraging people with it. Um, well, Shannon, is, do you want to share where people can find you? I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes too. Thank you. Yeah. So all of the socials are Shannon loves D 10 and we just launched our website. Yay. <laughs> so it's Shannon Hoffman.com. Um, and you can go there and learn more about the campaign and the issues. And you can also give a small do- dollar donation if you would like. Yay. Thank you so much, Shannon, for taking the time to do this. Tristan, anything else before we wrap? No, I was going to thank you for taking the time to come talk with us and for doing the work that you do. And I'll be wishing you a lot of luck in the election process. Yeah. 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 Thank you both so much. This was really fun. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F 
tfinpodcast.com and on Instagram at alltfinpodcast or at Tristan Katz Creative or and at Lauren K. Roberts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red one, son of a 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 son of